0: Welcome to the Reology Podcast. My name is Scott Johnson. I'm not a trained theologian, nor do I have degrees in theology or the Bible, but I'm just a regular guy who loves and follows God and wanted to know if there was more to what I was experiencing in the world of church. This podcast is the collection of a journey to dig much deeper into the realm of faith. And rheology is the study of the do-over. It's founded on the philosophy and the principle of stopping what I'm doing and thinking of why I'm doing it, especially when it comes to To what I know about God, Jesus, and ultimately what all this has to do with me. These encounters are designed to help us, you and me, those of us interested in God, to go deeper down the rabbit hole of faith, to be engaged enough to want to learn more about who God is, how He does what He does, and why. In 1981, A new virus was just starting to infect people in the United States. By the end of 1982, we would come to learn a brand new term that our generation would never ever forget, the term Acquired Immune Deficiency Syndrome, otherwise known as AIDS. This new virus was first thought to have started with gay men. It was even labeled Gay-Related Immune Deficiency, or GRID for short. That by the end of the 1990s, AIDS would infect just under 50 million people. 14 million of those would end up dying to the disease. I can vividly remember several quote-unquote Christian, and I'm saying quote-unquote here with a lowercase c, Christian, quote-unquote Christian leaders and people declaring this as the judgment of God. Basically, God saw the sin of homosexuality and created a virus to kill those who were gay. Even though the whole medical world completely and totally understood that HIV originated in the Congo of Africa around the 1920s, and that this particular outbreak started with patients who were suffering with hemophilia in Haiti, That did not stop a very large number of people labeling it as the gay disease. And a lot of quote-unquote Christians truly believe that it did come from God as part of his divine judgment against these sinners. I'm creating this episode on March 24th, 2020, in the middle of another global pandemic crisis, the coronavirus or as it's also known as, COVID-19. As you all already completely understand, this virus has taken over normal life for us here on planet Earth. It has disrupted the way we do things and with whom we do them. A lot of people are still trying to get used to a new way of spending their day, self-quarantined in their homes, working and living. We have an atmosphere right now of confusion and we're just on the edge of panic and those two elements when they're combined together they equal a recipe for irrational thinking basically taking your brain out of your head and throwing it out the window at that point you are completely susceptible to saying things that just aren't true for example, I have an ex-college classmate on social media that posted this, and I quote, God punished Israel and Egypt with plagues and famines. Maybe he's telling us something, end quote. During confusing times, it's really easy to complicate things even more with statements that just aren't true. Statements that are born out of confusion instead of born from the rational, you know, thinking them through. Statements that take the focus off the important lessons to truly learn in the middle of the the situation. But you know what, maybe I shouldn't completely dismiss this thought too soon. Maybe we should stop and think about it. I mean, does God send plagues and diseases and tornadoes, earthquakes, disasters, and viruses as part of his divine judgment? Has he sent COVID-19? Let's take a quick look. Now, from the statement of God sending plagues and famines, let's first look at plagues. Let's start there. It's not going to be hard to figure it out, because right off the bat, if we just take a look at Exodus chapter 7, we see that God would end up using this guy named Moses and Moses' brother Aaron to be his spokespersons to the Pharaoh of Egypt. God is trying to get Pharaoh to allow his people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph, to leave Egypt and go back to their homeland, the Promised Land. Most of us know this story. And also, as most of us already know, Pharaoh was a bit of a stinker. He would at one minute say, yeah, sure, go for it. And then the very next minute, he would change his mind and say no. He was a very stubborn man. Sometimes he'd just look at Moses and laugh at his face. So God would have to end up sending 10 plagues upon the people of Egypt. First, there was blood. All the water in Egypt turned into blood. Then the frogs came everywhere. And then there were gnats or something similar to gnats. How awful that frogs came before the gnats. Then a swarm, which could have been wild beasts or hornets, bees, something as simple as flies even, or or maybe even a mixture of all of the above. Then a disease that affected the livestock and killed the livestock. Then boils came, a skin disease with bumps all over your body. Then hail rained down from the sky and even even fire rained down with the hail, killing the rest of the livestock and, and then the crops. And then locusts came, and they ate the rest of the crops that didn't die from the hail. And then here came darkness. There was no light anywhere to be found. And finally, the death angel killed the firstborn of the Egyptians. So, did God send plagues? The answer is yes. Did he send famine? Well, let's take a look. In Jeremiah chapter 29, this guy named Jeremiah, a prophet, he was asked by God to write a letter down. He's going to write this letter to the Hebrew people that had been taken into captivity and they're now living in Babylon. This is a letter from God to let them kind of know about their new living arrangements, something very new to them. The world had been turned up completely upside down. He's talking about the new living arrangements and what the future holds. And he tells them that after about 70 years of living in captivity in Babylon, he's going to allow them to go back to Israel and reestablish the temple, the kingdom, their old way of life. But in verse 17, the Lord says that he will take care of those who had temporarily moved into the ruins of Jerusalem. 70 years the people had gone, a whole bunch of people moved into where they used to live. God's going to take care of them, and this is what he says. The Lord who rules over all says, I will bring war, starvation, and disease on them. That's how he would get rid of them. So, does God send famine? The answer is yes. But the question should not be, can God send disease, famine, plagues, natural disasters? Of course he can Of course he can. He's God. He wouldn't be much of a God if he couldn't do those things. But the question that we should be asking is not can, it is does. Does he do those things? There are way more examples in the Old Testament of God bringing about wrath and judgment. For sure. A whole city, Sodom and Gomorrah, completely destroyed. No doubt about it. But those examples are taken from the Old Testament, which is an old way of how God dealt with human beings. And there is a new way. We should probably take a look at the new way that God deals with human beings, a.k.a. the New Testament. When Jesus came to earth, it was to accomplish two main things. Number one, he came to finalize the law of the Old Testament, to complete it. He became the sacrifice that we just could never, ever achieve. We could never make good on that. Jesus came to complete it. And the second thing was to create a new system, a brand new system on how to have a relationship with God through now Jesus and what that should look like for humans on a day-to-day basis. It would give us new purpose and it would break the old laws. It would allow us for the first time in human history, besides the garden, to literally come close to God, to to come closer and deeper with God. So, in the New Testament, the new way God deals with humans, do we have any instances of God sending famine, plagues, or any of the above to deal with sinners as part of his judgment? And the quick answer is no. There is nothing because he doesn't. The only times that we might be able to see something that's like remotely close to this would be like number one in Acts chapter five. We've got these two kind of new Christians, a husband and wife named Ananias and Sapphira. And you've probably sung this song when you were a kid. They lied about an offering that they were giving to God for people in need. They lied and deceived. And they both dropped completely dead. Just gone. Now, this wasn't directed to sinners, actually. So that kind of strikes it out. It was <laughs> it actually was just directed to Christians. Don't try to deceive God. And it really wasn't a plague or a disease either that affected lots of people. And this is just one specific case. We don't see this happening over and over again. This only happened one time. That's why it's probably so popular, because it's such a shocking story. The other instance could be found in like the book of Revelation. Let's say like chapter 6. There's a guy named John. He's one of the original apostles. He was, as the scriptures say, caught up, quote unquote, in the spirit and was able to witness a vision. God allowed him to see something. Now, Revelation, the whole book is called a prophetic book, meaning that it could relate to past stuff, present stuff, future stuff, all three at the same time. It could be real stuff. It could be symbolic stuff. It could be both. We just don't know. This book is a real mystery. John describes, though, a scene, okay? So he describes a scene where a lamb, yes, a lamb, a sheep, is opening up seven seals. There's, there are seven things that have been sealed, closed, shut, right? And the se- the lamb is going and breaking these seals, opening these seven things, and seven different things happen. When the lamb opened the fourth seal, a rider on a horse, a, a pale green horse, comes out. The rider's name is Death. And this, the scripture says, Quote unquote, they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill its population with sword, famine, and disease and by the wild animals of the earth. Now God wasn't directly involved here but he did allow death to come and do its thing and again this could be futuristic, it could be symbolic, it could be both we don't know. So, besides these two situations, there aren't really any others found in the whole New Testament that show God purposefully sending disasters to deal with sinners as part of his divine judgment. As a matter of fact, these two scriptures don't either. But, there are several scriptures that reference and point to God's judgment. But that judgment not actually happening during our time here on earth, but instead after it's all over. Paul writes a letter to the Christians in a town called Corinth in 1 Corinthians 4. He says, and he's talking about judgment and judging, and he says this, So then, do not judge anything before the time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the motives of hearts. Then each will receive recognition from God. So there's a, a proper time for judgment. And it's not during our time on earth. It's, it's actually when, when time on earth is over. We've got a long time, potentially, before that happens. God is extremely patient. Peter says it best in 2 Peter 3.9. He says, the Lord is not slow concerning his promise, as some regard slowness. But he's being, he's being patient with you. Because he does not wish for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. He's patient. During the time on earth, he is waiting. His grace is unbelievably deep, and it's ready and sufficient for everyone. He loves everyone, and he's waiting. He wants everybody to come to him. Now, that's not to say that he's not he isn't just. He is just. He is the judge. And he will judge at the proper time, which is at the end of this life. At that time, we'll all be judged to see if we are found to be faithful or not. You know, we have got to be very, very careful when we insinuate certain things about God. Especially that God sends disasters to deal with people. There are a lot of really horrible, horrible things that happen to really good people. Christians are not immune to these horrible things. Great Christian people die from Ebola. Great Christian people die from AIDS. They die from flu, and they will die from COVID-19. These are just the very unfortunate realities of living life on this planet. And I hear people say, well, God is in control. Well, God has control. He does. Because of his nature of being God, he's got control. But he doesn't sit around on his throne and play around with human lives. He's not a control freak. Instead, he's a rational God who completely understands our situation. We're living in a fallen world. And that world has accidents. It has disease. It has famine and natural disasters and viruses. All that's been around since the beginning. Those things come with the territory. We have death that lives around us at all times. So does God send these things our way? I seriously doubt it. God doesn't bring about calamity in our time. But he does use it. He uses hard times as a potential time of deeper learning for us. The New Testament is full of passages just like Romans 5.3, which says this, Not only this, but we also rejoice in sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance character, and character hope. And hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Hard times present an opportunity to allow God to be truly Lord in our lives, for Him to be our everything, our provider, our hope, our joy, our strength, our courage. Tough times are a major part Of what he does inside of us. He uses tough times to grow us. To develop us into the people he wants us to be. If we allow it. God doesn't cause bad stuff to happen. But he does use those things to prove who he is. Through tough times he can change us. And that change in us can spill out into the lives of people around us every day. The mission of spreading the message of Jesus, this this message of redemption, and that of making disciples has been commissioned to us all. But that doesn't happen by our judgment. It happens by our obedience to him, especially during tough times. By allowing him to be Lord. We're not supposed to be focused on judgment. We're supposed to be focused on love. You know, I wholeheartedly believe that the faith of Christians in the 21st century is on full display right now. The spotlight is on. This is our defining moment. For those of us who claim to follow Jesus and serve God, this is our defining moment. The question is, where does our focus truly reside? The spotlight's on. Where does our focus reside? What's it on? Is our focus on an us versus them mentality? Is it on being right? Is it on being saved? Or is it on being a servant? I listened to Andy Stanley from North Point Community Church this past weekend, and he taught on the scripture from Mark 10. The last two to week and a half weeks of Jesus' life would mean for him to head towards Jerusalem for the pinnacle of his whole ministry, of his whole life, which was the cross. The disciples were thinking to themselves, this guy is still going to be some sort of ruler. I mean, they really thought that Jesus still was going to be a physical ruler, you know, a king with a kingdom sitting on a throne, ruling from that throne somewhere. James and John, the two brothers, the sons of Zebedee, They asked him along the way, hey, can we sit on your left and your right side, quote unquote, when you came into your kingdom, when you come into your kingdom, can we sit on your left and right? And this is what Jesus says. He says, you've observed how godless rulers throw their weight around, right? And when people get a little power, how quickly it goes to their heads. It's not going to be that way with you. Whoever wants to be great must become a servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. That's what the Son of Man has done. He came to serve, not to be served. And then to give away his life in exchange for many who are held hostage. God did not send the coronavirus upon us. It's just a very unfortunate piece of the entire puzzle of living life on earth. So instead of focusing on judgment, we should be focusing on serving. The time is now. The spotlight is on. The great defining moment of our faith in God is here. God is not and will not be happy with how much we pointed fingers during this time. Instead, he will smile deeply at how many times we selflessly asked, how can I help? I'd like to encourage you to be willing to rethink, research, and rediscover the mysteries of God, the life of Jesus, and the purpose of the ecclesia. And what I'm asking you to do, it's no easy task, nor is it popular. Some might say, just go to church and listen to the sermon and all will be good. Unfortunately, that's just not nearly enough. Take a hold of this faith in God with both of your hands and claim it for your own. Investigate God, get to know him on a much deeper level. But just remember that it all starts with a willing spirit to stop and think. If you spent any time learning about this Jesus in any of the four books dedicated to his life in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, you'll quickly find that his message revolved around this exact same mindset. Stop and think.